0: Hey guys, welcome to the 107th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today
1: we're at my alma mater, USC for Talent Week, with a very special guest, comedy
0: director Payman Benz. Heyman has directed a bunch of our favorite shows, Last Man on Earth, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, A Good Place, AP Bio. We are super excited to talk to him. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues and our audio quality is not nearly as good as our other episodes, but the conversation is still amazing and we really wanted to post it, so we apologize for the audio quality. We also don't have an unpaid endorsement in this episode, so don't sue us. Because Sorry, we didn't everyone. endorse anything. We had a time limit. Yeah. Uh, but we were really excited to talk to Payman and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Take it away, Payman Benz. Uh, we have Payman Benz with us today. He's a comedy director. I've known of you since like the funnier die days. And Matt, you knew him from Comedy Central? Uh, yeah, kind
1: of the same. We kind of all were coming up uh, when funny internet videos or, you know, the Wild West, which I suppose is still the case. But Payman, you now directed for shows like Last Man on Earth, Key & Peel, Kimmel was kind of like your first big break,
2: Brooklyn Nine-Nine, what else? Uh, 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 the Good Place, uh, yeah. AP Bio. Um, like all the best shows, basically. Uh, shows that I love, definitely.
0: Yeah. yeah, for sure. So can you tell us a little <clears throat> bit about how you got where you are? Like how you made the transition from like Funnier Die videos to... The Good Place, just like a big budget
2: NBC show. It was just the years of doing unpaid, I mean, we all know, just unpaid sketches and just trying to get better in short films and over and over again and slowly what ends up happening is comedy ends up being a really nice shortcut for directors because uh, comedians always have scripts and comedy, short form comedy is always being produced. I don't, I don't really know if it is now. I don't really know <laughs> Like I think I feel like Funnier or Die just makes television now, um, but they, they're always going to give you ideas, and it's you're going to learn every genre because they like to parody everything. And luckily, I all I want to do is comedy, so it worked for me. So as I put my stuff out, comedians would reach out to me, and then we would do stuff. And then as they got opportunities, I got opportunities, and vice versa. They would be like, "Hey, I'm going to do this branded thing. Do you want to direct it?" Or I'd be like, "Hey, I got this." Pilot presentation. Do you want to be in it? Um, and it was just chipping away. I got here in two thousand six, so it was like every year. I felt like I got a little closer, and then a little back, and a little closer, a little back, and then um, and then you know your name just gets out there because you do a sketch with someone and it does well, and then. When they go in a meeting like that, sketch just talked about it. And then when I go in, they're like, "Oh, we know that sketch. We talked to so and so. So just do a lot of free work." Yeah, just to clarify, before I was directing, I worked at Comedy Central, and that's kind of where we got
1: to know each other a little bit more. Right. And constantly, every time your name would come up, people would be like, "Oh, this video is really funny," and also payments gonna make it better, right? Like you were. Good is that what they would say? It? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, like this is a B. B minus script, okay. Heyman's going to get it to an A always. Wow, yeah. okay, and
2: you're That's good amazing. to work with, right? So those are kind of the other things that I think helped you stand out and kind of catapult up. Yeah, don't be a jerk. Basically, sure. that yeah. it's that uh, it's. But it was just one. It you know it was it was just incremental. It was just like I, it felt like just keep doing the work, and I and I stayed true to what I wanted to do. I wanted to do television and film, so. You know, my friends and I, we used to do film festivals, and then when we were too broke to submit to film festivals, or we're like, okay, we spend 50 bucks, we find out if we get in, 100 people see it, and then they're like, what are you doing next? And we didn't have feature scripts, so we'd be like, another one of these? And then, like, we weren't going anywhere, and then right when I moved here in 2006 is when YouTube got going... So we just saw it as like a distribution tool. We're like, oh, we'll just put it here and then people will see it. Like never cared about view numbers because it was more about who saw it than how many people saw it and saw the YouTube world kind of form. It was turning into something and I was like, I don't like this. I This doesn't lead to television and film in my eyes. I just didn't feel like that was the level of content people were making. I felt like everything was like personality based and – like just overly hyper sexualized like uh, ironic easy stuff and i want to make movies and tv shows so i just stay true to it and um and then you know slowly people started saying stuff and then uh yeah then eventually went to kimmel and i don't know if i should get into that but then it slowly Well, i think that's the interesting
0: thing so you're watching YouTube videos and being like those are funny and I see like why people are watching them but it's not exactly what my trajectory is it seems like a medium that's based on close-ups of faces right. and people being like really funny and like really insanely fast cuts right right and so you can't develop anything
2: it wasn't about storytelling it was never about performances and that just drove me crazy because that's all I care about that's or the fun.
0: performances were like a Jake Paul performance where it's just like <laughs> just screaming into the camera yeah, right yeah he just
2: like yells and wears colorful stuff and, yeah. uh, and he He's very rich. Uh, but but there was a lot of people that took that shortcut, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather play the long game because I wanted. – I'm not cut out for this. It's, it's a, by the way, it's a lot of work doing that – being one of sure. these YouTubers, It's a crazy amount of work. It's not – it's just not stuff I wanted to do. So I ran away from there, and I went to the UCB and started meeting comedians. Like, I started doing sketches for this group called The Midnight Show, and when I was doing sketches for them – uh, Peter Atencio was also doing sketches for them. And Peter and I became really good friends. And some of the sketches did really well, and then some of them didn't. The ones we really liked obviously got like 30,000, and then the ones we hated would like blow up, and we'd be like, what are we doing wrong? And then that was it. I mean, the Midnight Show was getting so much attention around town that 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 became my calling card. I'm one of the, the Midnight Show directors. And then once Peter – Peter was the main director on Key & He directed – every frame of the first four seasons including the live stuff how did he jump from the midnight show to key and peel he he had done a couple pilots in between and then you know keegan jordan peter and i all had the same manager who was executive producer of key and peel so like there was a lot of inside pushing and then his pitch to them was basically what the show was that every scene was going to feel like the best scene of a movie pulled out of it it wasn't going to look like a sketch like that was to me as a director that was the show that proved that sketch can look good it doesn't have to like there's some charm to the oh a couple of friends shot it and stuff but like if you shoot it right all the jokes are heightened all the performances are enhanced and and peter i think peter really helped make that show what it is and he made every, every he elevated everything and he excited every director i know was like freaking out about that show when it started
0: well yeah can i ask a a quick question about that just craft wise sometimes i feel like when something looks really really great like it's not as funny how do you how do you combat that or does that is that not true
2: no it's really like figure out what is it going to make the audience laugh or am i do i just want my directing friends to be like that was a dope shot dude like (laughs) it's not what in the end it's about you're entertaining the audience so it's like what's the best way to tell this joke sure this crane shot would look cool but you realize in comedy simplicity is really what works so that balance is hard because especially when you start to have the toys you're like well i want to use the toys and then you I've seen people overdo it and they go way too far with the style and and then you're like, yeah, That looked dope, but I didn't really laugh. I was like I enjoyed it, but I didn't laugh for like three minutes and right. it's a failure in my eyes. Well yeah. and also I feel like
1: once you graduate up into bigger shows, right? Like where you have EPs and you have studio notes, all of those cool, fun shots
2: just end up on the cutting room floor, you know? Yes, especially in episodic. Yeah. In episodic you are a guest. And you are making their show. If their show doesn't do a specific type of shot, you shouldn't even pitch it. Because you're going to waste a lot of time on the day. If you don't make your day, it's very bad. If you don't make your day in episodic television, everybody finds out. Like, your agents find out, which I found out recently. Like, if you go over. And by making um, your day, you mean being under 12 hours? Under 12, yeah. If, if you go over, there's a spreadsheet that the network gets every night, and if you go over, it's in red. And then they know, oh, they're flagging that director. Next to your name. Yeah, your next name, to your name. And then they're hesitant to hire you for shows that generally have slower production. So then they tell your your agent or manager or whatever, yeah, he didn't make his days. And then your agent manager then, because they have to save their own reputation, it, are not going to pitch you for shows that have slower production. So... um and it costs them a lot of money, the crew will hate you. I mean, it's just bad. You can make your days. It's not, I've gone over three times ever in my life and all three times we had like a weird mechanical thing that happened. Um, but in episodic television, it's like 65% logistics, maybe 10% creative. <laughs> and I don't know what the rest <laughs> of it is. Um, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Who's being on your email? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just giving answers yeah. very quickly, anticipating what you think the showrunner is going to want you to say. <laughs> I mean, it's super fun, but you know, you're a, you're a guest. You're there for two weeks. They have an engine that is working, and you can't disrupt it. It's like they have a beat. You have to dance to that beat that was a weird sentence but if you disrupt it it's bad and you they talk about those directors i end up hearing about previous directors and then i end up learning from the last guy's mistakes a lot oftentimes i feel like you're
1: also getting notes from the showrunner based off of the previous director's yeah yeah performance right so it's like okay to make sure you do this thing that the other guy didn't do and i'm dealing with an edit right now
2: and yeah, exactly. And another thing that I, I, it could be because I've only been doing Episode for three years and I'm still, very, I'm not sure why I get to do what I do. and It's still really exciting. Um, when I'm up for a show, I watch every episode. I'll take crazy notes as I'm, I will literally write down their shot list. That was in the final cut and they're blocking. And then it makes prep easier because you're you know what it's like. And then I can go to the DP or the, the script supervisor or the EP and be like, would you guys get a shot like this? Like it's, it's good to ask that stuff because sometimes they'll be like, we would never do that. And then like, okay, well we're not going to waste two hours getting this shot that I really wanted to see, but you don't want the audience to see the show and go, that was a weird Moment for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They've never done a thing like that. That's a failure. That's
1: you not getting another job,
2: basically. Yeah, exactly. If you don't give them a good episode of their show, why should they hire you? The stakes are too high. People are watching it. Just give them their show. You bring in your ideas. If you're good with the cast, that's key. If you're good with the crew, as long as you give them a good episode and you are contributing... Ideas like I'm always pitching jokes. I'm always pitching changes to certain things to make them funnier or whatever Or sometimes I'll even say I don't think we're gonna use this scene. So why are we shooting it? Like we'll save time I didn't have the guts to do that the first year, but now I can be like, Hey, this is a we'll never see this in the cut. Why are we wasting half of our day in the hot sun doing this? They love that stuff. You just got to give a little bit because if you just try to like right. get in there and be a bulldozer, like if you're a hyper stylized director, episodic television is not for you. It's just unless you find a show that somehow matches your style exactly, they're not going to hire you and you're going to be really sad for five days while you're shooting <laughs> just cross-coverage overs, because that's pretty much
0: what it ends up right. being. Well, I want to get into, like, the specifics of how you as a director bring something new to an episode of a show that's, you're like, already on the fifth season. But before we get into that, I just want to go back a little bit to the Kimmel, Key and Peel days. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you were making YouTube videos. You met some people. You got a manager before you got Kimmel?
2: I got... I got an agent and a manager way too soon out here, like within my first year. And then I just kind of acted like I didn't have one because it happened so fast. And then just was like, I'm going to just hustle and earn it because I knew that they couldn't force anyone to hire me. They couldn't be like, trust us, he's going to be really good in a few years. Like, you can give him your million dollar episode. So, I just kept hustling and they would put me out on meetings and I'd get like little things, but I wasn't going to get an episode of a TV show. Like nobody knew who I was. Like I had done shorts. It just wasn't there yet. Um, But how did you get that agent and manager? uh, The agent, it's a very, very long story. And the bullet point is through like a bunch of random occurrences. Adam Sandler saw a bunch of my work the first year I came out here, brought me into Happy Madison Instantly put me up to direct The House Bunny. I had no idea what a production designer was. I was like, what is happening? Why am I meeting for a movie at the Playboy Mansion? I'm going to like OD on Coke and die in the grotto. Like, this doesn't, this story doesn't end well. That's why they needed an, an yeah director. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, he was like my childhood hero. So it was like a crazy, it was insane. And then obviously I didn't get the movie because they realized it was a huge mistake to give it to a guy who had like no experience. And then his people called all the agencies. They were like, sign this guy. Adam loves him. And then all of a sudden all the agencies were calling and then they, you know, made a decision. I ended up with UTA about 11 years ago. And then literally acted like I didn't have an agent and was just like went back to grinding because I was like, I, I don't want to bother them because at one point they're going to realize they made a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and, yeah. Just just to clarify in terms of
2: acting like you don't have an agent, like literally you did everything that
1: a person would be doing without having one, right? You're still doing funnier die videos. You're still hustling. It just so happens that if somebody IMDBs you, they see a
2: fancy name. Yeah, which is, it's good, but it, you know, they could, but they could, again, they couldn't force anyone. To hire me and really like almost everything I got including Kimmel was through my own all the free work that I did. It was like I would do stuff for people and they would hire me and even the first pilot presentation I did in 2010 for MTV that was just like a buddy recommended me to a buddy that recommended me to a buddy and all of a sudden I'm like directing this pilot. My, My agent had nothing to do with that and then the way Kimmel happened was I had done work for this guy Daniel Kellison years ago and he created this YouTube channel called Jash that's like a big comedy collective. And then we ended up doing this ridiculous web series where we recreated uh the Arsenio Hall show and with Paul Scheer (laughs) like word for word word for word because you didn't have to do anything it was the most insane show one of the most insane shows ever be on tv and then Kimmel needed a new segment director and he's him and Daniel are like very very close and he called Daniel and was like do you know anybody and Daniel recommended me and Jimmy's like oh I've seen his stuff because he had seen that series and I found out later that he was originally going to be in it. And then they brought me in for, like, a test run, and I was there for, like, a few weeks, and then all of a sudden they brought me on, like, permanently. And then I was there for about eight months and then was hanging out with Peter. And then Peter was like, hey, so this fall... I gotta bring some people in to direct some sketches on Key & Peele, and I was like, Jimmy, I gotta go. And then left, but I still go back. I was actually a Kimmel last week filling in, so I go back from time to time. But it literally was, but that was from all my free work. I mean, Peter and I did the Midnight Show, and he liked my stuff and brought me onto that. And then the showrunners from Key & Peele, Ian Roberts and Jay Martell were the showrunners on the show on TV lane called Teachers. And when that started, they were like, hey, do you want to meet for the show? And I was like, yeah, man, I've been trying to do half hour for a decade and no one thinks I can do anything longer than four minutes. And then met with the creators and we hit it off. And then I was told you'll never get it because it's for a whole season. And then they gave it to me uh, and then it was like boot camp. It was like eight weeks shooting nine episodes all by myself with no hiatus. And.
0: Can I slow you down for one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, when you meet with the the people at teachers, these showrunners, you don't know them personally, right? No, no. Do they say like send
2: us some samples? They had seen they had seen stuff because Ian and Jay showed them all my you know all the stuff I'd done at Campiel, and then they just I had a website, so all my stuff was on embedded on my site, and then and on your website is that like your best like your three best sketches or like fifty bit things? I think at that point it was like half of them, and it was the half that I was, like, happy to show. There was other ones that I was like, yeah, that was okay, but I don't know if I want to watch that sketch now. Because, you know, you every, everything gets better. Um, so it was always, like, found the older, simpler stuff if you did a search.
0: And then, so for those of us that haven't had showrunners come interview us to direct their show? What what did they ask you?
2: What did they ask you at Teachers? What did they ask me? They asked me if I had seen their web series, and I said yeah, and I told them what I liked about it. And uh, they had already shot a pilot, and they wanted to do some things differently, and then they were like, what would you do? Right. What would you do? How would you shoot it differently? Like, how would you cover things differently? And then I kind of riffed and told them what my idea of how I, how I saw the show evolving to what it ended. This
1: is. Because Teachers was originally, like, a sketch group that yes on a TV show. So you yeah. kind of had a kinship in that, like, you both were coming from the same world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did a bunch of, like, vignettes as these characters they had shot in Chicago, and then it kind of picked up steam, and then they ended up getting this deal at TV Land. So we spoke the same language. And I think they felt that that. I think if somebody older and more experienced came in, they had a lot of other people come in they weren't bonding with those directors because those directors were, like, so old school where yeah. I was just like, we're just going to shoot it and have fun. And they didn't want to uh, be, like, steamrolled by
0: J.J. Abrams or whoever no, was, no, the J.J. No, Abrams back then. J- they said no to J.J. Uh,
2: right. uh, but it was, it was super casual, and I felt good about it, but then everyone was like, you're never going to get this. That's what I was told by my agents. They were like, you're not going to get this. Do you prepare an
0: approach before this meeting? Or are you are like, well... It would be cool to say that I want to shoot this like an action movie or, you you know, know, but it's about teachers. Yeah, Not for that
2: that one. No, for that one, I mean, looking back, maybe I should have. I just went and had a conversation. It was like I I had seen it. This is what I thought was funny. This is how I thought the pilot could be improved. And we kept it like pretty loose. Yeah, I could have been more prepared, but luckily it worked out. (laughs) I I wonder
1: if sometimes... Um, coming in too prepared makes you seem like sweaty or
0: needy, and that like just talk a little thirsty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, like watching every episode of their pre-existing stuff like helps a ton. Yeah. But then you like you hear a story like about Peter saying like we're gonna do key and peel every scene is gonna be like the best scene from a movie. Right. Like that line alone is like a good line. Like so, you wonder. Yeah. Like, do you prepare that type of
2: pitch before you go to the interview? I knew how I how I would have shot it differently because the show changed radically visually from the pilot to you know the episodes that I did. It was completely different. It went from handheld to locked down. So, um, and I told them exactly why I thought that was the case for their show and why we were going to color it differently. Wow! Um, I fe- there the way they wrote it. They have these very long monologues and they have very, like, there was a very, like, silly feel to the whole thing. And it felt like trying to ground it in handheld threw the tone off completely. It was just like it didn't feel good. And it also felt like that was a period where, like, we had enough handheld. It felt like handheld took over for a while and then it was just like, come on, man, let's get back to filmmaking, man. Forget this cross-coverage crap. And then now handheld's kind of coming That's back, it, yeah, right? Yeah, because people, people are lazy.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this on the show before, but do you have like a philosophy on like when you should go handheld and when you should not, or is it?
2: I, you know, things are more chaotic if a character is going through. So I love when you shift if you're locked down and then someone's going through like a crazy thing at the end, and you and you mix it up and go to handheld. I love that. I always appreciate when that happens, as long as it's not too jarring i like a mix of everything if it works for the for the project and the tone because there were scenes that we did handheld that season there were times where we rehearsed and we're about to shoot and then i was like throw them on your shoulders this isn't this this needs to be loose we're in a bar this shouldn't be we're not in our controlled school environment a lot of times that decision's just
0: literally made up on the day right I, so jumping way forward so you did the last man on earth a couple episodes right
2: yeah i've done um 8 episodes now of that show. Oh wow. In 3 seasons. That's yeah. awesome. I love that show. Me too.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, you work with Carl Hersey, right? Yeah, Carl um, Hersey, yeah. he's great. He's, yeah, amazing. he's a DP. He's so um, talented,
2: man. He's so great.
0: So, do you so on that show? That show is like super stylized. Yeah. Um, but also really consistent with itself in a way. What's like what's the philosophy there? I don't know if you guys have seen it, but in terms of like uh, handheld. You should. Yeah, it's um, really awesome. It's it's, really good. it's
2: pretty locked down. I handheld Very rare on that show. You know, that's a show that like loves big wide shots and they love inserts and they love, you know, it's weird because it is locked down, but you also want to let them play a little bit. Will and Kristen tend to play a little more than the other, uh, as far as improvising, more than the rest of the cast. But that show is so similar to how I see things when I read scripts that it was like heaven. It was like that show started airing while I was shooting teachers and every Sunday night I'd be like, what is this dream show that's on Fox? Like, wouldn't it be cool to do a show like that? I know. Just like the opening titles are like, wow.
0: It's like, it looks, it feels like filmmaking, but it's on Fox.
2: Yeah. And it's great. And they really embrace it. And once you understand the tone, like they know that I know the tone pretty well now. So now I can... You know, they're pretty hands off because they know that I'm not going to pitch anything ridiculous. But I'm at a point now where I can say no to a location. We did that with an episode that aired a few months ago where we had a location set and I couldn't sleep the night after we scouted it because I was like, this is not going to look good. And went on a bunch of secret scouts with my AD that nobody knew about. And then we found a new location and designed a whole new look for this cemetery. And then... Production designer Brian Langer was very nervous, and then I kind of pushed him and pushed him, and then it ended up happening. But on most shows, they're kind of like, Hey, so we're gonna go look at the location that's already been approved, you gotta make it work. The first thing you do Tuesday morning, they're like, They just throw you in a van and go to a place, and they're like, Shoot it here. Where would you put your cameras? You're like, I literally got the script last night, and you like just have to start figuring out how you're where the trucks are gonna go and all that stuff. It's crazy. So, when you're looking at a location, what makes a location for you unshootable? Limited angles is very frustrating a lot of times you get to a place and you're like, okay these two angles work But everything else doesn't sound is a big issue because the last thing I want is the sound people just panicking all day long on last man on earth it's a very difficult show to do location scouts because the world's empty sometimes we get in a situation where we're like we can only look in two angles and you're like okay cool but now it feels like like we're on a back lot so we need to show scope on that show so sometimes we'll do a thing where you know the freeways in the background and then they just paint out the cars or do whatever we can, or we try to just empty out a whole street. I just try to see flexibility because what ends up happening is the DPs do not come to the scouts because they're shooting the show, they're shooting an episode that week. So Tuesday morning you get in, you go on a scout, you meet everyone in the van, and then you get to a place and you're like, so this is how we're gonna shoot this, hoping that it's gonna work within the DP's right. plans all the rewrites that are going to happen up until the night before you're shooting. And then, awesome. you know, they're yeah. yeah. on, on the show.
1: You're the new guy. Yes. Right. So you're telling everyone how to do their
2: job. Yeah. But like they
1: kind of know better in a sense.
2: Yeah. You know, like, so you have, you have to let any ego go. It's not like doing a movie or doing your own project where like, you're really the boss. Like really you are there because legally they have to have a director from the director's guild. If they had it their way, the EPs would direct every episode between the DP and the writer who really makes all the decisions on set and the script supervisor, they would be fine. The show would be fine. It would be, it's better when you have a director coming in with ideas, but you are a guest. You're there to not rock the boat, like just make their show. Like, they're there every day for you know five six months, and you know they want someone that comes in that's ready to play ball. This is your show. What do you want me to do? And it's it's fun, and you know coming from sketch, it was an easy transition because you're you know we're doing so many different genres. It's a little tough when you go from one show to another. Where I come off Last Man on Earth Friday night, and then like Tuesday morning, I start at Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is a hot, completely different show visually. But I just think it, it makes you better in the long run. It's scary at first because you're like, oh right, that's right. We're three cameras now, and right. we're shooting quickly, and it's an enormous cast, and we're on a stage. It's like totally different. But and so when you have
0: three cameras, do you are you the one that decides where each camera is going to go?
2: The DP is really makes that de- like makes the final decision. But you know, I'll go in there with a shot list, which I've been learning. A lot of the old school directors don't do shot lists. they just wing it on the day, which to me is psychotic, but after doing it for a couple years, I can see why some of these guys show up in sandals and Tommy Bahama shirts and they're going golfing after the production meeting because you could wing it and do a decent job, but why not do like a better job? So I go in with a very detailed shot list and... If you need it, overhead diagrams. And, and then I do you make your shot list in Word, or how do you make a spreadsheet? I'm list? so ghetto, dude. I do text edit because I like every time I do a spreadsheet, it just doesn't have enough room for all the description because sometimes I'm like, this is good for this line, readjust for this line. There's just like too much stuff. You're trying to make your day. So my shot list starts at a very scary size and then... And then it's literally you look at your schedule and you're like, how do I make this day? Well, I'm going to simplify this scene because this scene at the end of the day is more important to the episode. Your shot list will change. Your show will change because of the schedule, because of how they schedule it. So, Sorry to
0: interrupt, but just to dig in on the shot list just because I I know... I've had so many directors like ask me like, after they've been directing for like years be like, "Hey, Lauren, can you show me like what your shot list looks like?" because like everyone's shot lists kind of like different look different. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Gotcha. Um like some people do, yeah, like shot designer overhead diagrams, some people just write like wide, medium, close over over, and some people will write wide for this shot to this shot and include the blocking in there. Like what do you describe <laughs> in your shot
2: list? It's it's all of it. I mean, it really is. It's like I it's it's sometimes it's a simple, and you know, but sometimes it's two people talking. It's just literally a 50-50, a single, a single, and then sizes, and that's really the day. And you know, when you're on Brooklyn 9 most of the scenes are shot in one three-camera setup, and the, cam- the zoom is finding the sizes. So we may have a pickup, but it's generally that, and then I'll have specialty shots for beats, and then we try on the day, we try to find a way to like combine them. Like, how do we combine this beat and this beat? Because we have to get out of here in an hour or whatever. Um, Like
0: with a dolly move or something, like a moving master, you
2: mean? Or or it could be like, you know, I need to, you know, when she picks that phone up, I need that, but I also need an insert of him doing that. Can we get that in the same pass? Like, can you just break off the single and just zoom in and get these two shots at once? A lot of times it's just on the day. You're just trying to find a way to make it make get everything and then and then I go through it with the DP and I go what do you think we need or what do you think we ch- we need to change and a lot of times when you block it out the actors will be like I feel weird being here can I go over there? And you're like, sure. And it completely changes everything you had planned. But, like, if they're not comfortable, the scene's going to suck. So And half the time, time, like, they're an EP on the show, too. Yeah. Right. And they're right. They have to do it. I mean, it's easy for us to see it like a comic strip in storyboards. And then what I do a lot of times when I'm alone at home is act out every scene as each character and try to do all the physical things they do, and then I'll go back, and I'm like, you have a character that's carrying, like, seven things and doing all this stuff. They can't do it. I'm glad nobody sees me do that, but... Yeah, I, I uh, would love to see that on. But, it. Should we, ta-
0: we, we are going to do some questions at the end, but if you want to ask something that's relevant right yeah, now, we'll, yeah, um, we'll take it.
2: So so with your shot list, do you just show up on the day with it, and does anybody have to agree on it beforehand? I, I will send it generally we'll send it to the ad the night before because he'll send it to the office and then they'll print them out and i'll always tell them like don't print out too many because there's just something wrong i don't want everyone knowing my print. it just feels weird that like a gaffer's like looking at my shop <laughs> i'm like don't judge my shorthand that i'll send it the night before and then because i'm changing it as the week goes on you learn a lot as it goes you're like oh i realize okay this stuff takes longer Every night when I come home, I'm, I'm changing the next day's shot list. Like radically, like reach a completely reformulating scenes. So when you're um, emailing it, it's more
1: about just making sure that there's a couple copies ready. You're not – just so that everyone's on the same page. It's not like you're asking for permission. Or- no,
2: it's going to just save time on the day so there's no confusion. People, everybody kind of knows what the plan is the next scene, you know, three scenes. Because sometimes if we're behind, the DP and I will, as they're lighting – will run to the next set, and be, I'll be like, he's going to be here, she's going to be here, they're going to do this and this and this, and then his guys start lighting, and then we run off and come back. So having all that preparation ahead of time, you're just saving time on the day. And just being, you have to be a little flexible. Because sometimes you get there, and then the actor's like, I want to go there, and then they have to relight everything, and then you start over. But you want to plan just so everybody, when you have a director that doesn't, is kind of like I don't know. Everybody panics. They panic on set, and I hear those stories, and I feel anxious for the director that it happened to two weeks ago. Right. Um, well, next time,
0: just give him one of our names. We'll come in. Oh, dude. Sub out, definitely. Um, do you? So, do you get rehearsal time? Do you get to figure out the blocking before the lighting happens? Every
2: every scene. So the first thing that happens is the actors come and. They'll read the scene, and uh, sometimes they've read, sometimes they haven't. And the second team is there, they're, stand-ins, they're standing by, and then you kind of do a rough one. I generally tell them where to be right away, because I've watched other rehearsals where they're just standing and reading, and they're like, okay, now let's tell everyone where they are. And like, you just wasted five minutes that you don't have. You so like Brooklyn Nine-Nine,
0: let's say you have a scene with five people in the precinct or whatever it's called, that big room. You, do you say, like, okay, Andy, you stand here and you stand here? and uh.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell them, like, at this beat, you're going to turn here and we're going to end up getting a shot. I like telling the actors the process because I feel like when there are delays, they know why it's happening. I mean, they're pros. They get it. But I like telling them, like, hey, so we're going to end up getting a shot over here, so just make sure you turn – wide enough in this shot, otherwise the edit's going to be clunky or whatever. So we do that, we see how it feels, and then if there's any adjustments, they do it, and then they leave and we start lighting with the with the stand-in. So, um, but I, I try to go really detailed in that rehearsal because that's going to dictate the order we shoot, and the DP and I will talk and be like, we'll start here, we'll go here, and then it's a very, very collaborative process. And the script supervisor is your best friend on set, that's what I've learned a lot of times I'll turn to the script team and be like, am I missing something? Is there a shot that I'm missing? Because you can't think of everything because you're you're doing so much. There's so much on your mind. That you can't get mad at yourself if you don't think of everything. And you can't watch three cameras all at once. No. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's literally times where I'll ask the scripty and the scripty's like, what if you got an angle like this? And it's like the funniest shot in the episode. I'm like, yeah, what the hell? And then you get mad at yourself and then you realize you can't possibly like... It's a collaborative process. Everybody there is good. You're gonna find it together. It's just you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to do it all. It's okay. Well, so speaking of fun, you get the credit in the end, so it's fine. <laughs> right.
0: Um, in terms of comedy, just for a minute, do you? I'm assuming a lot of times a lot of your performance directing is coming with the day players, like the guest stars and the co stars and people that don't know the show as well. Right. Like, what happens when? There's a funny moment in the script, it was funny in the audition, and then it's just like not working on set, like they're nervous or something.
2: That happens, I won't name the show. There was one guy that was getting so nervous on a show I did that like we, I wanted to hug him, I felt so bad for him, cause I could like, his mouth was getting dry, and he did a really good job, we were just doing alts. And I think he thought he wasn't doing a good job, and I kept going up and be like, dude you killed the first take, we're just doing alternate jokes and i just try to relate to them and try to keep it up personally i'm not a dictator on set i'm not a yeller i've never yelled on set i don't think that works in comedy like i just don't i don't think people can be funny when there's some jackass screaming on set it doesn't make any sense to me so it's tough and there's times where you you know the writer and i are kind of trying to strategize because you don't have much time and you can't take too long before you, between takes because they know something is going on. If they're just sitting on set waiting and they know there's discussion, their confidence just keeps going down. Sure, and then people are whispering some, behind a monitor. Yeah. And there's times where we literally will do a generic note to give ourselves time to figure out something. Be like, just give me one that's paced up or whatever. Like, because you, the last thing I want is for the actor to get uncomfortable. Um, and then we figure it out and usually it works out there's times where it doesn't and you end up on someone else's coverage for that line or that line doesn't make it and but it's understandable you come in for one line and there's this huge engine moving quickly right. and you're seeing all these like famous actors and then you're there for your one yeah, line you're and then the you one clam up. Not
1: famous in that scene yeah.
2: yeah and then you have to like deliver you have one line and it's a joke or it's a setup to a crucial joke and I'm very sympathetic of that being difficult. So uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I want to talk a
1: little bit about like here we are. We've got a bunch of students. What can they do to get your job? Right. That's what they all are thinking. Right. <laughs> so like. Yeah. Stab me as I well. walk. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but but beyond just kind of like like what would, what's one thing you wish you could have told yourself as a student to like just make yourself a better director for
0: comedy in the future. And, and also like what do you see producers looking for in
2: directors yeah, like new directors? Um, I mean, what they're looking for they want someone who is sure of themselves, uh, but is still willing to. Collaborate. It's like a really fine balance because it's hard not to be a stubborn director. It's kind of your job. You know, the images we've seen of directors over our lives are like they have these bullhorns and they're screaming or whatever. And business culture in this country has changed and it's happened in our industry as well. And now people just want to work with people they want to work with. Like, unless you're a savant, like you're not going to get work in television. You're just not, there's just, it's going to be good anyway. So why don't they just hire someone who's pleasant? The advice I'd give is stay true to the tone of what, like the things you want to do eventually. Don't, don't give in to shortcuts and opportunities. You know, in YouTube, when I saw it forming and I was like, this isn't, I can make some quick money off YouTube, but I don't – I'm not going to make – a. no one's going to let me make a movie if I keep making YouTube videos. That's just the way I felt. I was really paranoid about it. But no matter what you do, try to make time to make stuff that is your voice because no one can tell your story exactly. No one can really do what you do. So as long as you're always doing that, there's a piece of that that you can show someone Mm – Everybody understands that you have to pay the bills by doing a branded thing for Carfax or, you know, some, all these like horrible guys up for that one. That's such a bummer you got us, You man. missed <laughs> nothing. You missed I know uh, oh, this is being recorded. I won't say uh, it was hilarious. It was quite a meltdown. Uh, they wasted a lot of money on that robot. It's really that. Yeah. Just al- always try to make your own stuff in the end. That's those are the people that are most successful. The ones that are making their own stuff and you're going to, eventually have to sell out a little bit, but that's because you're trying to work in an industry that generates billions of dollars. You're playing their game. So once you make enough stuff and gain their respect and trust, you can slowly start to make the things that you really want to make. And just understand that the end, you have an end game. It's the long game. It's not about what you're doing right now as long as you're just getting there and you fee- you see that path don't get discouraged and don't take shortcuts the shortcuts don't work well how important is it if you want to be a tv director to be writing it's real. i mean i feel like it's made me a better writer because you're working with some of the greatest writers i mean i i've learned a lot and a lot of times i because i used to write my own stuff um it, it's been very helpful because I can give notes, I can give ideas on set, and they know that it's coming from someone who understands the process. Um, and it just gets, you know, you just get more trust from them. So I, it's key. If you can do all of it, you're golden. Do we have any questions from uh,
0: from anyone here? All Our- right, here we go. What was your process of getting that agent when you first came here? We all wanted-
2: I will say there's a lot of people that are like, eager to go get an agent, eager to get a manager, don't worry about that. Right now, just make your stuff because they cannot get you work unless you have credits. And you're not going to get yourself to that point unless you have like a body of work. You can yeah. get a manager today, they're not going to get you any work. It's just not going to happen. If like you so. sign with with payments agent,
1: he's ahead of you, Peter's ahead of you, there's 50 other people who have huge res- resumes
2: ahead of you. Yeah. So you
1: have to... You, catch up before it makes any sense and it's the
2: amount of work they have to do like i remember thinking like why would my agent tell the show to hire me when he can just say i also represent this person and they'd be like hired like why what's in it for them when they could just get the easy 10 percent? so right now focus on focus on your stuff I'll tell you, really, to this day still, almost everything I've gotten has been through my own relationships and not through my agents and managers. Like, they will tell me this show wants to to offer you a thing, but I know that that's because I'm friends with the writer, and the writer recommended them. The longer you wait before you get them, the better because they're going to come hunting for you. That's what you want. You want them coming after you instead of you going after them. And then also you're giving them... 10% of your money and if they're really not getting you that work it sucks like and also right now with our new tax plan you can't write off commissions so like there's a lot of people I know who are dropping their managers because they don't want to give away 10% of their money while this while the tax plan's the way it is so I wouldn't even worry about representation just make good stuff let them come to you and then and then oh man they roll out the red carpet it's good
0: yeah I I think kind of the takeaway from that is like you want them to be excited about you you don't Want to be excited about them?
2: Yeah, know? because they look—they get stuff sent all the time, and I know Comedy Central people—they're getting, and that stuff goes straight to the garbage sure. because yeah. they don't have time. They're not—they have enough talent they're working with. They're not going to be like, "All right, I'm going to throw this DVD in and watch this thing real quick." It's just like right. they will see your stuff if it's good. They will see it. Like the, their friend who's like, know. "Oh my god, I just saw this thing that
1: Payment did." That's what they trust, right? Right? Exactly. Not some agent who's trying to like right. yeah. or a Vimeo staffing. Sure. Doesn't Hey, thanks for
2: coming. Um, so right now, um, with digital and sketch stuff, a lot of creators are not only directing and writing their own stuff, they're starring in it. And I was wondering what advice you have for someone who wants to um, star, as well as direct and write their own content. I'm trying to think. When I first did stuff, I was in my stuff. But that's because I didn't know any actors. If if you can do it, do it. It's great. It just depends on what is your end game. Do you want to be a writer director or do you want to be an actor or do you want to do, or do you want to do all of it? What is your what is? Yeah, I would preferably want to do all of it, like Issa Ray or as Susan Sarandon create own series. And so right. Right. Well.
0: Yeah, and I think they come from like a comedy. They're like comedians first, and that's what it they is. Kind They're of creators comedians first. Right. I mean, I would say
2: do it all, and then it'll converge at some point like you don't have to only do your own stuff if you can start acting in other people's stuff and if you can start directing people's from other stuff all uh, people's stuff your network will expand and your experience will expand and you won't just have this one sensibility like your sensibility because again you're going to be working for other people for the most part like until you get to like Aziz's level where he's just like I'm going to go to Italy and make pizza and then maybe I'll make a show like you, that's a long way away so I would say just keep doing it and do all of it and then once once you get an opportunity in one direction or the other you can you can force the other stuff in yeah um, you'll we, never lose by making stuff we have an
0: episode with Anna Akana do you know her? she's yeah. like a writer creator actor you can listen to that one yeah. and uh, there's a lot of good insights there
1: um, so you guys were talking about uh, shot lists earlier is there any time in television for storyboarding or does that just not happen?
2: Um, it's Well, well, I've been in comedy, so it's a little more rare. I think I've only been... There's only been two times where I storyboarded anything. And one time it was a very specific action sequence, and they had a storyboard artist that came in for it. And then... I was going to say action is kind of
1: the place where...
2: It's usually action, because really in TV comedy it ends up being... A couple of people are in a room and somebody comes in with a funny line or their storyline and then they talk and then they're not allowed to move because you don't know how they're going to edit it later, which is a little frustrating. There's a shortcut I have for that. I found a way to get around that. Oh, what so it? what it would start happening is I would want to move somebody in the middle of a scene and the showrunners would be like, we know we're going to cut a minute out of the scene. So don't move them because all of a sudden that's going to be weird. So the... The workaround I've had is, okay, well, what's the most important line that he says that you would never cut out? And then that's where I have the character move. Oh, nice. And then That's that why way, all the characters new, are
0: walking on the most important line. Yeah, and your like, you're not cutting that line. <laughs> yeah. So
2: then that way we have some movement. So it's not like Family Guy where everyone's just like in one <laughs> spot, like ping-ponging back and forth. And I'm just like killing myself in post because like nobody's moving. So that trick has worked really well. I did that's it about right. a year ago. I was yeah. very excited. Yeah, very stoned when I had to it, <laughs> and it worked. And we have a question in the back over there. I think. Um, how frequently did you uh, produce content until you became noticed? Uh, that's. It, I produced everything until I did. Like it was, you know, I wrote it, produced it. But like, um, how much? Like, you'd put out a
0: video like every month.
2: It wasn't even that often. We, we were pretty. Bad with time, like we knew people that were like very regimented, like every week. It was like if we had a good idea, we would make it, and then uh, so it was probably I mean, it was maybe one or two things a month, maybe like two things every six yeah. weeks. Like it, it was
0: once a month, right? it was once
2: a month, and I would do like one or two things for them before them. When I did my own stuff, it was just like whenever we had an idea. But we'd do everything. We'd do everything from producing to craft services to editing to yeah. all the stuff. So, But yeah. you're still gigging around at the same time. Like while you were do, doing Midnight Show, you were still a working
1: director. It wasn't like you yeah. had a day job. So like you're no. still doing branded pieces. And yeah. Kind of and then like comes in.
2: I would AD for people. I would edit things for people to pay the bills, like whatever it was to to, to survive and hope that it worked out at some point but also you had the flexibility of being able to shoot whenever you wanted to yeah 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 it's just like i took the risk i was like why not try i came here to try it so why not try it what if it doesn't work then whatever i'll i'll go do something else but it's there's a lot of competition so just um, hustle we have to wrap things up um, but
0: thanks a lot for coming, guys. Thanks, Payman. Thank this you, is awesome. If you guys want to hear everything Payman said, you can check out our podcast, Just Shoot It. You can also email us with questions. We are justshootipod at gmail.com. You can check out our website where we'll put notes about what Payman talked about, maybe links to your website and some other of your earlier clips, the secrets to how to get a job on Camel.
1: Are the music that's playing right now for the podcast listeners, but not for you guys, is uh, searched by the Free Music Archive and the Artist Bizarre. I okay, think that's it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you.